You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. I'm going to share something this morning. It's a topic that I I don't know if I have approached it in 11 years of being here this directly, but as, as I prepared, the Lord began to show me something, and I have to share this with you before I can get into the scripture. I hope that we never get okay and never become satisfied that something in our life is a struggle Something in our life is heartbreaking without also the realization that God is immediately ready to do something about it. That is a hard transition for us. We have grown so deeply in our brokenness, sometimes so deep in our own frustration or in our own questions that we fail to recognize that Jesus in every situation we read about in the Gospels, changed someone's life in a moment. Complete transition, complete healing, complete restoration in a moment. And that that God is our God today still capable of dealing with that brokenness. Dealing with the past that is haunting us. Dealing with the future that, is, that it, we're fearful of. That God is ready today for a moment of breakthrough so that you don't have to live in that another moment. I, I will assure you by what God is saying today and has said repeatedly and said to me as I was preparing that this can be that day. I mean, I took some pictures of, of the lyrics up here because we were just singing these very messages. Listen to these words. Now I have resurrection power. I didn't give my life to him. He gave his life to me. And that is a resurrected, powerful life. And that blood is now beating through my veins. I have resurrection power living on the inside. You have given us freedom, no longer bound by sin and darkness, living in the light of your goodness. You have given us freedom. We just sang that. The question isn't, did we sing it? The question is, did we, did we and are we living it? Or, or very strangely, why would we be happier in our brokenness? Why would we be happier bound up when freedom is possible? I know this probably isn't a very good picture or reference to talk about, but I saw a video a few years ago Someone sent me of these massive cows coming out of this barn. And like in the spring, like they'd been cooped up all winter. And these massive beasts were running and playing because they had found this freedom. And it was fun to watch them because they they were acting like they were little. These were massive animals just running and jumping and kicking and playing because they had discovered freedom. 
we might think it would look funny for us to do that, but I think it's okay if we just burst out of here running and jumping and kicking and acting like children. I don't want to go the same speed Maverick did because I'd break something. Man, that kid's fast. To you, our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. You are our one desire. You alone are holy. Only you are worthy. God, let your fire fall down. We just sang those words. The question now is, did we mean them? And do you want it? Because he's promising today your life your relationships, your story can dynamically change with breakthrough in a moment. We're anxious for that breakthrough. I hope you're anxious for that breakthrough, realizing your life does not have to be defined by anything except the will of God. I want you to just consider with me as I begin this morning back into the story, a quick look at Adam and Eve. The creation story prior to temptation, prior to the fall, we find that mankind lived in complete rest with God. Complete rest. There was no anxiousness in the relationship they had with each other or with God. No wondering if he was good or no wondering if he loved them. There was no performance expectation except that they would tend to the creation as they were told. There were no unrealistic expectations as to their behavior. There didn't need to be. The one rule or instruction born in the love of the Father was that they not, that they not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We could truly say that theirs was a life of genuine, unquestionable rest. Any time that we can remove ourselves from the anxiousness and the fear and the uncertainty, we will find within ourselves that we are at rest. It was not until after the temptation and after the fall that man would labor and that women would have anguish. It was only after that we get this snapshot picture. The Bible speaks a great deal about rest and speaks to the fact that there is more than one rest that in which we can enter. We need to talk about that. I remember that this was a favorite topic by Dale Kane, who was the pastor here before me, talking about the rest of God. And I want us to go there. I want us to look at this this morning from Hebrews chapter 4. Such a simple but profound thing about entering into the rest of God. And it's a plural rest. Most of us here have entered into one. Most of us here have never stepped into the second of those rests. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, that any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So here's where we begin. 
the writer of Hebrews begins a conversation here with a very, very profound effect. Now, we have a tendency this morning, we would, to get lost in the Scriptures and lose the message. I want to make sure this morning as best we can that we don't lose the message. Because the writer's drawing a direct comparison between those who believe by faith in Jesus as their Savior and those who left Egypt in the book of Exodus. So he's saying, I want you to understand something. We in the Old Testament get to watch this exodus out of Egypt by all the people of Israel. This moment of freedom after 400 years of bondage. And he says, I want you to compare that to those of us who today have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the comparison that he's drawing. Them back then and us now. Paul explains it to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you just hold your finger in Hebrews 4 and go with me to, if you're using a, a phone, I'm not sure how you put your finger in Hebrews 4, but if you're using a book, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I would not have that you should be ignorant, how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat, and, and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. He's talking about these Old Testament people who were following this rock. They were following Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Now he's talking about those who are moving according to this rock, according to that which he just said was Christ. But he said, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. For, there were, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were an example to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. So he's saying, I'm giving you this illustration about the Old Testament so that you will learn something powerful about who we are and about our lives today. It's not just an, ex just an example. It's an example with power. It's an example as a witness that will be life-changing for you and I today as believers. When we receive salvation through the blood of Christ, shed on the cross, on the cross, we are reminded that Israel in the day of their exodus also there received their freedom from bondage by the blood of the lamb placed on the doorpost. There's a similarity. These people left Egypt because they had done as they were told, they took a lamb, a, a perfect lamb, and on the day appointed, they, they sacrificed that lamb. They took that lamb's blood and put it on the, on the top and the sides of the door so that when the death angel saw the blood, that the death angel would skip that house and miss that family. Other, otherwise, the eldest would have died in that house, the eldest son. It was by the blood that they escaped the death that would have come. It was by the blood that they stepped from bondage into freedom. Can you see the comparison? He's drawing it very directly. 
that you and I escaped bondage of sin, the bondage of death. We escaped it how? By the blood of a lamb. I mean, the parallel is very simple. And we're drawn to that parallel. They entered, think about this. They entered their first rest by the blood of the lamb. We enter our first rest by the blood of the lamb. Again, not complicated, but please understand the parallel that you and I sitting here today as believers have stepped into our first rest. It is the rest that says sin cannot reach me anymore. Death cannot find me anymore. I don't have to live with a concern of hell. I don't have to live with a concern that I will die someday because I'm promised that I never will. My body will, but my soul and spirit will never die and my body will have new life in it. I'm assured that I have by this first rest escaped the consequences of death. I have stepped into that freedom. By that same blood secured for them a place of promise that we know today for them is Canaan. But we entered again our first rest, escaping for eternity the bondage of a taskmaster who is the author of our brokenness, the author of our hopelessness, and the author of death. At the moment that you were saved, rescued, comprehend this, know this, trust this, know it to be factually true, at that moment that you were saved, you entered that first rest of his promise. Most of us sitting here today, saved, have entered into that rest. But the writer of Hebrews is taking us beyond that first rest of salvation that was bought with the price of a lamb and his blood. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that they were overthrown in the wilderness for a simple and explainable reason. Now remember, they're already in the first rest. They've already escaped the bondage. It says, however, that God was not pleased with them. And we find the reason in Hebrews 4, verse 2 that I've already read. But the word preached did not profit them. <clears throat> Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. I will tell you why this morning that most of us as believers <clears throat> have not stepped into that second rest. We hear it here very plainly because the words we hear, the words of truth that God reveals to us are not mixed with faith. And if they're not mixed with faith, they profit us nothing. Nothing will change in our life. We will be the recipient of truth. We will hear great things. We will see great promises. We will understand great concepts of God. If it's not mixed with faith, it will profit us nothing. And we sit here week after week, year by year, never profiting from the revelations of God, the truth he reveals, because that truth we heard is not mixed with faith. It would be, again, the simple equation. Mr. Hensley, would you stand up just a second? Shorty could stand beside that chair 
Today and tomorrow and the next day, day in, day out, night and day, he could stand there understanding full well that the, the, the assurance and the promise that that chair would hold him. But what's it going to take for that chair to profit him? By faith, he has to do what? Demonstrate that faith. There it is. The weight of his body rested on that chair and immediately the chair could go to work and now that he can profit from the chair. You and I have heard great things. We have been told about this God who loves us, this God who is good, this God who wants freedom for you, the God who died to, to, to assure that. We have heard those things and strangely, they profit us nothing. We still live in the margins of faith. We still live in the questions. We still live in the uncertainty. We live in the doubt. We live without assurance. We live without the blessings of God. We live because we have heard truth. I teach it and share it often that the unfortunate thing of what church has done, teaching has done, is the church has brought God to a concept level. And we know much about him. We can talk about him. We can tell stories about him. But most of us would have to readily admit that I don't encounter him. I don't encounter him because what I have in truth has never been mixed with faith. <clears throat> but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So what was preached to them? They were told that there was a journey prepared for them and that the journey would bring them to an overwhelming promise that God had made them in their fathers. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of Israel here. This is what they were taught. I want, when you're hearing it, I want you in your mind to turn it around and let it speak of you. They were told that there, were, there was a journey. Have you been told that? Have you been told that that journey was prepared for you and that your journey would bring you to overwhelming promises that God had made you and made to those around you? Have you been taught that? Do you understand that you are in this, on this journey, a remarkable one? Filled with goodness, I pray each time we pray at home. Lord, thank you for this day and all that you placed in it. Those things that we've already discovered and the things yet to be discovered. Because I know we're on an adventure. I know there's a journey. And I know that we've got to see some of it today already when we were singing. But I know that God has something in front of us. And he's waiting to show those and reveal. They were told that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you have any doubt that you have also been taught that what is in front of you is this land flowing with milk and honey? Jan and I are listening to a book on tape. Help me with the name. West with a Night. Beautiful story. The memoirs of a, of, a, of a lady, a pilot that grew up in Africa. And she has a friend who was given a Bible. And he's reading, and it's very literal to him. And he's, 
in part of this, he's talking about he's trying to imagine this land that's flowing with milk and honey. How odd that would have to look because he's taking everything literally. Like, what if I don't like honey? Like this, this could, this, you know, for some, some might like honey, some may like milk, but what if you don't like them? Well, it, it's an interesting conversation that he's having because the first time he's happened to be reading this book. They were told that, that there, their labor would produce tenfold beyond their expectations. Wouldn't it have been interesting, Mr. Henthe, if you planted a crop with the expectations of making two bales to the acre, but every ounce of effort you placed in it produced 20 bales to the acre? And that was the promise. Would you labor? Yes. But what's the result of the labor there? That it would produce beyond what you could have ever imagined. They were told that. You see, we don't even dream in those kind of dreams. We don't understand that what we do that is done in obedience produces an outcome tremendously greater than we could have ever expected. They were told that everywhere they placed their foot would be theirs. They were told that every battle God had already won. Do you know that today? That there's not a battle in your life that God has not already won. We, they were taught these things. What was the problem? The learning of these things was not mixed with faith. They profited nothing. We have been taught these things, but not mixed with faith. They will profit us nothing, <clears throat> and we live in brokenness, hopelessness, frustration, year after year after year in relationships, in situations, in the dynamics of life. What happened? Again, verse 2, the truth they heard was not mixed with faith. Let's look at verse 3. Let's go a little further in this. The writer of Hebrews continues, for we which have believed <clears throat> do enter into rest. So again, he's saying, if you're saved, you have entered into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So again, he's reminding us, you've already stepped into the first one. Let's jump down to verse 9. I'll make this a little shorter. There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. Now, this is the second rest. We've already entered into the first because we are the people of God. We have overcome death. We've overcome that for eternity. We will never die. We've overcome that brokenness and that hopelessness because of salvation. But God is assuring us here that there is a second rest in which we can enter. We're told of, of this second rest. It's available for the people of God. <clears throat> He's telling us of a second rest that you and I can enter into if what? If what we hear preached, truth we receive, is mixed with faith. That will produce for us another rest. Verse 10. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So he's saying, I want you to be able to step into the second rest. And I will assure you that this is a concept that the Christian church does not get, doesn't understand very well today. 
I think you may get it a little bit more than most. But the Christian church, I will assure you, according to the very first thing when he says in verse 10, for he that has entered into his rest, he's also ceased from his own works. What's the great evidence that the church doesn't know anything about this rest? Is because the teaching, the concepts within most is that the amount of work that you produce is determining how pleased God is with you. It's all about work. It's all about effort. It's all about strategies. It's all about plans. It's all about programs. It's all about effort that we place into it. Again, I hear it so consistently, and I'm certain that you do too. We already know that it requires that we cease from our own works. If you're going to step into that rest, it means we cease from our own work. It also means we know that, it, that we must labor. And that word is labor in terms of speed, it means to make haste. In terms of degree, it means diligence, to enter into that rest. And we know that unbelief in the heart of Christians is the cause of our struggle. But the next verse brings great clarity. Verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We learn largely here that the first rest we enter into is the salvation of our spirit called in the scripture justification. I am justified by God. I am a child of God. I have entered into that freedom that being a child allows me to experience. But the reason we need to be able to tell the difference between spirit and soul because the salvation of the spirit is justification. But he's telling us that the second rest is the rest of our soul, the rest of sanctification, not the rest, because that's already secure. He's telling us now that those who have been secure in their spirit and justified can enter into a second rest. We would call it the rest of obedience, where we recognize that God has entered us. The Holy Spirit was given to us and that by His Spirit, resurrection life flowing in me, that these become His hands to work with. These are His feet to go with. This is His body to live, live His life through. This is His mouth to speak with. I will tell you that we will enter into an unbelievable rest when we recognize that He came not only to save us from the eternity of hell, but He saved us to enter into the rest of our soul right here and right now, the warning is that even for those who believe, there's a need to recognize that the second rest is that by which we enter into in our soul, our mind, and our emotions. We find it true as this. Our second rest is that rest of obedience. It's the rest that says that my life has been exchanged for his life. It says that I now have resurrection life pulsing through me. It says that I can cease from my own labors and let his spirit consume my being to express his will, his, I'm sorry, his will in me. You remember the scripture in Matthew where it says, many are called, but what? Few are chosen. When we can separate spirit and soul, we'll get the, we'll, we'll, the point will be clear. How many came out of it? How, how many came out of Egypt? All of them. All of them came out. All of them were called out. How many of those called out got to go in? 
two, Joshua and Caleb. Many were called. Few were chosen. What disqualified the others? No faith. No faith. They came to Kadesh and said, no, we can't go in. The power of God's not enough. Many were called. I will tell you today, there are many sitting in churches today who have been called. Are they saved? Yes. Have they escaped the eternity of death? Yes. But will they be chosen? When we begin to understand the millennial reign, when we begin to understand the judgment seat of Christ, we will recognize that those who are standing at the judgment seat, according to 1 Corinthians 10 and 2 Corinthians 5, that, there, that we, all the believers will be there. But what, God, what Jesus is going to be searching for is those who, to whom he gave his life and they took it. And by faith, those things that they heard were mixed with faith. And their life became the evidence of him and not the evidence of us. I tell you, we know this. That we need to enter into that second rest. I meet with so many people whose lives are in turmoil and I just long for them to enter in. And it's so much fun to watch as they begin to. As the struggles and the difficulties and the frustrations begin to yield into this second rest. Most of the people that I meet with is not counseling at all. It's Bible study. I walk with people up to a year and two years and three years after we've had this breakthrough, not because they need to just keep coming, but because it is by the preaching of the word, the teaching, now mixed with faith, lets them enter into more than just that deliverance. It lets them enter into rest where their lives are calm and they go about their days and they have joy in them and they have peace in them and love in them and there's a witness of who God is in them not because they need deliverance every time or there are big problems every time somebody talks to me. It's rare. But the reality is that the walking, the discipleship allows us in the continuing conversations to let them enter into this second rest, the rest where they realize that God has so indwelt them, so equipped them, that not only are they saved in their spirits, but they're saved in their soul from this labor I want to share one more scripture. Go with me to Galatians chapter 1 because this is where it happened with Paul. Paul was a terrorist. He was killing Christians in the name of God. That's what we would call him. He was a terrorist. He was arresting, harassing, locking people up and killing them. We know it because he was standing there as Stephen was being stoned to death. Paul was standing there as a witness. He was holding the coats, the cloaks of those who were throwing the stones. So here is Paul now. Galatians 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it, and I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, but, conjunction, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. The grace was necessary because it had to get past that which Paul had just done. 
Call me by his grace, unmerited, undeserved. He called me. Why? To reveal his son in me. What allows us to enter into that second rest? Christ in me because God wants for us what he wanted for Paul, that he could reveal his son in us. How's that going to happen if the Holy Spirit doesn't bring the spirit of that son into us so that the son can be revealed? He continues, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, Go with me down to verse 21. Afterwards, he talks about going away. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. He had been gone three years. Verse 23, but they, but, they, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once he destroyed. How could he do that? Because that which he learned not by the hands of men, but by the teaching of God was mixed with faith. He could preach that the one who persecuted now preaches. In verse 24, I wish was our testimony. All of us individually and collectively as a church with no arrogance in it, no pride in it. But each of us could say, and they glorified God in me. They glorified God because they could see in me this change. They could see in me this transition. They could see in me this difference. And I hope for you this morning, I hope for myself, this has been a journey, a path. We've been taught that. I love, but I love where I am in the journey. I love the fact that 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 which God has shown me in many ways, in many cases, has been mixed with faith. There's no arrogance in that statement. There's no pride in that statement. I've been at it a long time. But I'm glad to say now at 64 years old that I can say that I have discovered what it means to hear truth and let it be mixed with faith so God can do what God wants to do. Someone comes into my office, I have a full expectation every time somebody comes in that by the supernatural power of God, by the working of the Holy Spirit, that every person who walks in will be transformed by His power. I believe that what I have learned mixed with faith is transforming in someone else's life because I desire with no pride or arrogance that God would be glorified in me. What else would I hope? That God, that others would see my frustration, see my difficulty, see my struggle, see my hurt, which is God's wanting to heal. God's wanting to transform. No, I want them to glorify God because they knew who I was. And they now have an opportunity to see what God has done. That I can enter into that first rest when I was saved at eight years old. And it entered into the second when I was about 40. And it's strange how many years there were between entering into the first and finally recognizing how to enter into the second when truth was mixed with faith. And I'm not ashamed to say, and I have profited 
greatly from that reality. When faith and truth were finally mixed together. Today, a breakthrough. You can let this same message bring you into that so that your life is defined by His presence in you and not the history that you have encountered, the history that is yours. God's saying, will you, will you separate yourself from that past forever? Not to forget it, but to never let it have power in, step, in allowing you to step into the future I have for you. Are you ready? He's, he's ready this morning for that breakthrough. I don't like to embarrass people, but sometimes it's just a lot of fun. A few weeks ago, Steve, back here in the sound booth, was delivered. Last Sunday, we had another conversation about the fact that once he was delivered, God could turn up other things that were broken and put them on top so that he would know quickly how to deal with those. You've been delivered once, you, can, you very quickly learn how to, when he exposes something else, how to step through it and pass it very quickly. So I got a note last Tuesday that said, it said 610730. I knew what it meant. On June the 10th at 7.30 in the evening, God had also delivered him from something else. He is fun to watch. There is energy and there is life and there is passion. And he is such a delight to watch. Because what happened is saved long ago. He's learning how to step into that second rest. And put his faith in a God who, who exposed truth and now it's mixed with faith. And I pray that it's profiting him greatly. He's not unique. There are many in here with the similar stories. God's ready. He's ready for that breakthrough. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can enter into this first rest of salvation and the second rest of sanctification where it's a rest of obedience where we can know that you have come to indwell us by your spirit, by his blood, by your blood you set us free, by your spirit you continue to set us free every day in that second rest. The first by the blood, the second by the Spirit. They entered into a Canaan, a place of rest, a place where those things they did, the battles fought were already won, the victories had already come, the provision was already there. Let us step into that rest, that rest of sanctification, where you alter and change our minds, you teach us deep things, and that mixed with faith that you give us, will profit us greatly. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the clarity of this message. Many have been called. Many have been called out of darkness. Many have been called out of sin into salvation. But you're looking for those that you can choose. Those whose truth is mixed with faith. Thank you, Father, for the clarity this morning, for letting us see what you have so deeply taught us. <clears throat> We thank you for whatever you choose to do next. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.